Before Christmas, uh, the faculty were asked to sign up for preaching on Matthew, and the passage that caught my eye was Matthew's account of the baptism of Jesus. The story of Jesus' baptism had become especially familiar to me as it is the foundational biblical text used in a meditation exercise that, is, that I frequently use that I found in a book called The Anatomy of the Soul that was published about 10 years ago by Kurt Thompson, an American psychiatrist. In his book, Thompson explores what the subtitle of his book describes as the surprising connections between neuroscience and spiritual practices that can transform your life and your relationships. Well, I read the book because I was really interested in the findings of neuroscience and about the finding of neuroscientists about the neuroplasticity of our brains. I found the idea of creating new neuropathways that are based on positive rather than negative thoughts intriguing, and I wanted to learn more. One of the many rewiring exercises that Thompson outlines in his book is called The Practice of Being Known. He invites readers to find a comfortable and quiet place for a meditation exercise based on the story of Jesus' baptism. With our eyes closed and after taking a deep breath, he, acts, he invites us to imagine ourselves in a beautiful, peaceful, and calm place. It could be by a lake, or in a forest, or a beautiful meadow. And he directs us to our, in our imagination to take a few moments to be aware of our surroundings simply taking in what we sense visually, tactilely, and auditorially. Then, in this very beautiful place, we are to sense God's presence. We are to imagine God speaking directly to us, calling us by name. Marion, God says, you are my daughter. I do so love you. I'm so pleased with you and I'm pleased that you're on the earth. We are not to resist his voice, and we are to stay in God's presence for several minutes. We are to be aware that what, of what it feels like to have God looking upon us with tenderness and strength. Kurt Thompson suggests that if we practice this meditation for a few minutes every day for six weeks, it should change our brain's neural networks and potentially lead us to a deeper awareness of being known and cared for by our Heavenly Father. I have practiced a modified version of this meditation and I found it to be very helpful. When I find myself very stressed or upset about something, I close my eyes, I put myself in what my kids call my happy place, and imagine hearing God speak into my life his words of love, acceptance, and compassion. Studying the story of Jesus' baptism this week has made me wonder, though, if Kurt Thompson's application of the story of Jesus' baptism is legitimate. It's certainly not a close dancing with the text or a close exegetical reading of the story. So my question is, 
is Thompson's application, an appropriate application of this story to our Christian lives? So in answer to this question, I invite you into a closer reading of Matthew's short account of Jesus' baptism. It's found in the Gospel of Matthew, and you have Bibles there. I'd invite you to have a look at that. Page 2 in the New Testament section. So I invite you to read it with me. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, or this is my Beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well, to understand this story, or any other biblical text for that matter, we need to consider the context. So the first thing we do is to observe that Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism comes right after his description of John the Baptist's ministry. Matthew introduces John as a very colorful, Elijah-like figure. He is dressed in a garment made of camel's hair that is tied around the waist with a leather belt. His hair was likely long and shaggy. Commenting on John the Baptist's clothing and vocation, Jesus would later ask the crowd, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. Jesus' mission was to call his fellow Jews to repent as the kingdom of heaven was near. John was, as Matthew suggests, the prophetic figure described in Isaiah 40, verse 3. He was the voice of one who cries, In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Perhaps it's not surprising that all kinds of Jews came to, from all over to be baptized in the river of Jordan by John and to confess their sins. Even the Pharisees and the Sadducees came for baptism, and John regarded them as a brood of vipers. He asked, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? He warned them that as pious descendants of Abraham, that being pious descendants of Abraham was not enough to exempt them from judgment. Even now, John said, the axe is lying at the root of the trees, and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John described his baptism as a baptism with water for repentance. And as important as John's water baptism was, he knew it was not the end game. 
His mission was to prepare the way for another whom he described as being more powerful than he was, as someone who came after him, as someone whose sandals he was not worthy to carry. This other person would baptize with the Holy Spirit and fire. With the winnowing fork in his hand, he would clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the granary and burn the chaff with unquenchable fire. What follows this very colorful introduction to John and his ministry of repentance is Matthew's story of Jesus' baptism. The story that we just read begins simply by saying Jesus came from Galilee to be baptized by John at the Jordan. And it is this very introduction to the story of Jesus' baptism that raises the question that interpreters have always struggled with. Namely, why did God's beloved son Jesus, the spotless Lamb of God, need to be baptized with the water of repentance by John? Why indeed? John was surprised, as readers have always been, that Jesus wanted to be baptized. And Matthew alone tells us that John tried to stop him. He thought that Jesus did not need to be baptized by him, but rather that he needed to be baptized by Jesus. He needed the baptize, to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire that Jesus the Messiah was going to bring. Then in what are Jesus' first spoken words in Matthew's Gospel, Jesus reassures John, saying, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. John's ministry was a ministry of preparation. In his act of baptizing Jesus, John effectively brought his preparatory mission to a climax, and he accomplished the transition to the promised one, Jesus. But why did Jesus need to be baptized at all? To be sure, it was not because he was a sinner, or because he wanted to identify with John's movement. The reason is more profound. As Beasley Murray has correctly argued, in his baptism, Jesus shows his solidarity with his people in their need. The Messiah is the embodiment of Israel, and as such, he identifies with his people fully and obediently acting out of this role. Jesus receives the anointing of the Spirit in order to accomplish his mission. That mission and the identification with his people would ultimately involve death, the death of a servant, on behalf of his people. Matthew then outlines three things that happens to Jesus when Jesus came up out of the water. First, the heavens were suddenly opened. Just as they were to Ezekiel, when he was by the river among the exiles, and the heavens were opened, and he saw visions of God. The heavens were also opened to Stephen before he was martyred, when he, full of grace, said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up, and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. So the opening of the heavens clearly speaks and describes an act of God. 
And so what Jesus then sees is the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And then we hear God's words, which in Matthew's Gospel are spoken in the third person. This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. These same words are spoken again in Matthew's account of Jesus' transfiguration, where the divine voice interrupts Peter and says, again, this is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And the second declaration of Jesus' divine sonship occurs right after he's spoken to his disciples about his suffering and death for the first time. In Mark chapter 1 and Luke chapter 3, the divine words spoken to Jesus are in the second person. You are my beloved son, and in you or with you I am well pleased. And of course these words more directly quote Psalm 2, one of the Psalms the Jews had long recognized as messianic, where the Lord decrees, you are my son, today I have begotten you. What follows in Psalm 2 is the Lord's promise that this kingly son will make nations his heritage and the ends of the earth his possession, and he will judge them, dashing them in pieces like a potter's vessel. With this allusion back to the messianic king in Psalm 2, Jesus is clearly identified as the messianic king and the son of God an identity that is also assumed in the temptation narrative that follows in Matthew. So here we have this short account of Jesus' baptism, and we are given two distinct portraits of Jesus, or aspects of his personhood. First, we see Jesus, the humble, suffering servant who identified with his people as Isaiah prophesied. The humble servant who would continue to identify with humanity in his suffering and death on the cross, where he died on our behalf. And second, we see Jesus as God's triumphant and beloved kingly son. So in answer to the all-important question as to why Jesus was baptized by John, we can say that the very act, this very act, revealed both the humanity and divinity of Jesus. So at this point, I think we could go back to my introductory dilemma as to whether Kurt Thompson's meditation on the baptism of Jesus is an appropriate text to base a meditation on that leads us as followers of Jesus to reflect on the love that God the Father has for us. I don't think there's one answer to this question. The idea that God loves us is found throughout Scripture. There are many texts that could be used as platforms for meditations on God's love for us as his children. Let me remind you of just a few. Jeremiah 31, 33. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. 1 John 3, 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. And that, and that is what we are. 1 John 4, 16. 
And so we know and we rely on the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And finally, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. These and so many other texts remind us of the truth Thompson calls us to meditate on, namely that God the Father loves us and we are his beloved children. But why, given the number of passages in scripture that talk about God's love, would Thompson have chosen the story of Jesus' baptism as the text upon which to build a meditation about our loving attachment to God our Father? I think the appeal of the story of Jesus' baptism for Thompson is at least in part the mystery that surrounds it. It is a setting in a place apart that allows the meditator to imagine being in a luminous place where God, just as God spoke to Jesus, words of love and acceptance, so we can imagine God our Father speaking into our lives words of love and attachment that can help us recognize our position as sons and daughters of God. Theologically, the argument can be made that since we are Christians in Christ, the words of love and acceptance God spoke to Jesus are also words that he, by extension, speaks to us, even though, of course, we are neither the servant or kingly Messiah. So at the level of the application of the story of Jesus' baptism to the lives of individual believers, I think Thompson gets a pass. But as to the question, does Thompson really help us understand the profound mysteries of Jesus' baptism as recorded in the Gospels, mysteries that unveil his identity as part of the Trinity, I would say, not really. Thompson is not dancing closely with the literal sense of scripture. He's using the text as a platform to talk about a very important spiritual reality, the reality of God's love for us. I do think that a close reading of the story of Jesus' baptism calls us to reflect more deeply on the person of Jesus, both as son of God and suffering servant. It also, by extension, can call us to remember God's love for Jesus and his love for us. And mindfulness practices, such as Thompson's practice, that calls us to reflect on God's profound love for us, does create new neural pathways that helps us go to our happy place when we are distressed, anxious, or fearful and not the place that we might more naturally go to, a dark place. This happy place can, I assure you, reassure us of the deep, deep love of Jesus. And had I known what the hymn we sang this morning, the hymn, it's 45, right? So if you go back to the first hymn, I was astounded to see the same hermeneutic in this hymn. So after describing Jesus' baptism 
down in Galilee, slow roadways, a stranger traveled from Nazareth to Jordan, and on and on. You go to verse 3. Just like Jesus, we too have found a roadway. It led us to this place. We all have had to travel in search of hope and grace. But now beside this water, again, a voice is heard. You are my own, my chosen, beloved of your Lord. Amen.